welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome, this is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. So women are becoming empowered in so many arenas of life. We see more and more women, not only in the workplace, but also um, entering management positions and owning companies. Many of you listening may be entrepreneurs and uh, even in positions of, of leadership and power in the government. There is more and more women. And yet there is, um, you know, uh, many women are not yet fully empowered with their finances, with how they manage their personal finances, with how they choose to invest and align their deep held values with um, both spending, earning, and investing. And so there is a lot of potential um, to learn the skills and uh, and and develop the mindset for greater prosperity and ultimately satisfaction and success on our own terms as women it, at this time in history. And so um, this is uh, why I brought our guest, Hillary Hendershot, on the show. She uh, She sees money as this uh, final frontier of feminism, as she calls it. And I think that's just a brilliant way to look at it, that money has been so taboo and, uh, and there is so much guilt and shame and fear around talking about it, that this really is a, is a frontier for people who are willing to be pioneers and be courageous in, in looking at their own finances and, and also the systems of investment and exchange and how those impact our society. So let me tell you a little bit more about Hillary. She is the founder of Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management, which is a leading advisory firm for women. And her mission is really to motivate women and their loved ones to be financially empowered. She hosts Profit Boss Radio, a weekly podcast where Hillary and her guests offer inspiration and actionable advice to support women in their financial journey. I really recommend checking that out. It's a fantastic show. Um, she also has also is a TEDx speaker, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, Fox, The Daily Worth, Forbes, and Investopedia. And 
in 2014, Hillary was recognized as a top 40 under 40 entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. And with more than over 30 television experiences, she is really considered the go-to personal finance expert in Silicon Valley for NBC. And they've even nicknamed her the Investor's Voice of Reason. Hillary has an MBA from Santa Clara University and is a certified financial planner. I have been so impressed by the enthusiasm and um, wisdom that that Hillary has shared around money and the way that she has truly uplifted and amplified the impact of so many women. And Hillary, uh, welcome to the show. And I would love to begin by hearing from you what, uh, what excites you most about the work that you do. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. So I am really totally motivated to get up in the morning and work with clients that I have and continue to build the platform that I've built. I'm very inspired and excited by the goal and mission of helping women build wealth. It's extremely fulfilling. So uh, what excites me most is just exactly what I do. Nice. So I'm so curious because I don't meet a lot of uh, women, you know, um, of our age uh, that are passionate about finances and and really um, leading in this way. So I'd love to hear some more about how you got into this field of of finance and and your own money journey. Mm-hmm. So I started in the field of personal financial planning in 1999. I worked in my father and stepmother's successful fiduciary fee-only practice. I don't know if those F words mean anything to you, but we can talk about those later. Uh, But basically, he brought me in, and I was going to be the business continuation plan. And I don't know if you remember what happened in the markets in 1999, but it was sort of the very top of the tech bubble in Silicon Valley. Here I am in the capital of Silicon Valley. And so it was a very interesting introduction to stock market investing because people were sort of hammering on the door saying, my neighbor is getting you know 60% returns holding stocks that aren't even profitable companies. And we were saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, right? Like just do things the smart way. And then the next year, the bubble burst and people had 50 and 60 and more percent losses. And, you know, we look like geniuses because our clients were totally insulated from that, I'll say nonsense. That's kind of a funny word, but we, um, you know, we didn't allow our portfolios to be over allocated to technology. We keep we keep a very level head during all time periods. And so that was really um, some kind of deep wisdom gained. You know, you can learn about things in a history book, but actually going through it is another thing. So um, so I spent many years working in that firm. And then for various reasons in 2014, I went out on my own to build my own registered investment advisory practice. So I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. Wow. Um that is an awesome story. I just uh, can tell that you really have the skills and and the you know the passion and the heart and and values behind what you do. And I'm curious what you've seen change over the last twenty years as far as women's involvement in finance. Uh, 
Well, I don't, I don't know that I can speak to a macro gender-based change. I think that I have called in or hasten in a change. So I experience people, clients, investors differently because when I started in the practice, I looked around and given my father was my mentor, all his colleagues looked like him. So old white men, there's nothing wrong with being an old white man, but I wasn't that. And there's a huge age chasm in the industry. So these uh, sort of first guys to be financial planners haven't done a great job of bringing other planners in underneath them. So there, there's not a range of ages. Um, and so I was the only one I saw who looked like I do. And so I think at some point I realized um, you know, I was suffering from a lot of insecurity about that. I thought, how am I going to do this? I'm the wrong age. I'm the wrong gender. And then I sort of realized maybe one day I'm making a phone call to make an appointment for the doctor. And I was someone who didn't want to see male doctors. I only wanted to see female doctors. And it's, I'm saying to the person, you know, I only want to see a woman. I realized, oh my goodness, I bet there's some people out there who only want to deal with their money with a woman. And uh, it was like that thought altered my world. And so now I'm, I have women investors all around me. And who tends to come work in my firm is women who, uh, you know, sometimes like about, I would say at least more than half my clients are married to men, right? So about 35% of my clients are men. And today when a woman comes to work with me, it's because she happens to be the one in the relationship who sort of, has specialized in managing the nest egg. Maybe that is because the husband works more or she has more of an interest in it. She's uh, got more of a mindset about wealth building. So that tends to be who come who comes to work in my practice. So uh, for me, I'm just surrounded by women who are uh, at, at varying degrees extremely interested in, in the conversation about wealth building. Now, that said, some people show up and they're in a place of overwhelm or stymie or frustration, analysis, paralysis, and that's okay too. I have a lot of room for that, right? So I'm not saying everyone that shows up is um, already an expert or necessarily feels empowered, but it is possible to act even though, right? So some people show up and they say, I don't know who to trust. I don't know how to make these decisions. There are people who show up with... Um, articles they've Googled on the internet about how to choose a financial advisor, right? And they sort of their hands shake as they ask me these questions. And I have a lot of empathy for that. I, I completely get it. And I have a lot of honor for people acting in the face of fear. That's true courage, right? So I always say this is a judgment-free zone and people definitely experience it that way. Oh, and it does take so much courage to talk about money and to admit that there's things that we need help with and that we are don't know about. And I, I'd love to hear your perspective on what what is so powerful about having the courage to, to discuss money, not only with professionals, but also with our families and our partners and, and what you have seen um, as people overcome these barriers of, you know, maybe shame or guilt or fear and, and begin to have these conversations about money. And so why is it so important to talk more openly about money? 
Yeah, well, I'll give you an example because speaking has the power to shift your experience of your life. I mean, ultimately, your experience of life is a function of the relationships that you're in. And when I say relationships, it's the conversations that you're in. You're in a conversation about yourself in that relationship. You're in a conversation in the relationship. And so uh, money, excuse me, language is very, very important. And for many of us, you're running around and you're thinking disempowered things to yourself about money, and those are words. That's a conversation. You're having it with yourself, but it's still a conversation. So your experience of money is a function of language. And if you even have an, a dialogue with your spouse, maybe it's we need to spend less or we're, we should be saving for the kid's college and we're not, you know, it's probably not like, uh, hey, I'm just overwhelmed with how much money is in the checking account this month. That's awesome. I feel I have this experience of abundance and just really being taken care of. You know, I have not had that conversation show up in my office. So it, that's a ra- that would be rare. So there's a woman I just finished a, a coaching program that I, I did this year called the 50K Wealth Multiplier Experience. And she was someone who literally had been a victim in the past, not a a victim of physical violence, but a victim of financial, you could say, violence. Uh, Her husband left her with three kids, no job, no money. I mean, literally, she couldn't even pay rent. And she went to live with friends for many years. Um, She had so much debt that it took literally years for her earning an income and paying off the debt to be even in a place where she could pay rent. And she showed up in my coaching program and it's going to surprise you when I say she had a really high income. She was working in sales in Silicon Valley and she was earning, you know, close to $400,000 a year, but spending it all. Okay. And so you asked me about the power of language and I'm getting there. (laughs) And the first thing that I did with her was we, we, we had a dialogue, a coaching conversation and she said, I get that I am living in the past about money, that I am continuing to create crises, that I need that, that it feeds me somehow. It's become this narrative, this novel that I'm writing about myself and my life. And I actually like, to some degree, the way people relate to me, like they feel sorry for me because this thing happened in my past. And she said, and I said, are you ready to move past that? And she said, I am. And I said, the first thing that you need to do after, you know, she cried a little and we talked about the new her. She created, um, you know, the 2.0 version of this powerful self that she is. And I said, you need to go transform yourself in all these people's conversations about you. And she went and had conversations with all the people who are closest to her that had been relating to her like a victim for an inappropriate period of time, you know, a decade because the divorce was long gone, right? So now she said, it's time for me to move into a new way of being about money. And she said, that's that's the old version of me. And now I want to ask you to think of me as the new version. She said, I'm going to make more than I spend. I'm going to save money. I'm going to buy a house here in Silicon Valley. And, you know, at a million, more than a million dollar price point, that's nothing to shake a stick at. And, and she was blown away by the results because now she has an accountability partner, someone who's holding her to producing sales goals. She's doubled her pipeline. She'll get paid, the number I mentioned earlier, she'll get paid almost twice that this year, right? And for the first time, she's got her taxes, her estimated quarterly taxes paid 
before they're late. <laughs> so she's out ahead of the ball and she's learning what it is to pay for the life that you live today rather than taking on debt so that you can pay for it tomorrow. But that all started in language. So I know I talked a long time, but <laughs> I think it's important to use examples. Oh, that was a great example and so important, uh, you know, these deep-held beliefs and, and patterns that we kind of just run on autopilot for so much of our day and our life and, and say things like, I'm broke and there's never enough and this scarcity mindset that's really been, um, you know, perpetrated a lot by the mainstream messaging of, you know, that you're not enough and you need to buy more to to be enough and and. It's really so deeply ingrained from from childhood, um, starting in childhood, that to be able to uncover that and and repattern and, and create new behaviors is is super powerful. Um, I'm wondering. I'd love to hear more. What so you kind of call this the money operating system? These these beliefs that drive us, and I'd love to hear some more about that and and what it means to you. Mm-hmm. So you said that what's what's present for you is there's never enough. Uh, I need to buy more to be more. And yeah, there's never enough money is a very common money script. I would say my just off the cuff, probably 75% of people have some version of there's never enough money. And what the money operating system is, is, is it's that script that you got coded with about money. So listen, money is very conceptual. We don't relate to money like all it is is a conversation, but money doesn't exist in reality. We made it up as human beings, and then we sort of forgot that we made it up, and now we're all kind of crazy about it. So money isn't paper bills. Money doesn't, there's no money in credit cards. There's no actual money in your bank account. That's just bits and bytes. Money is like this agreement that we human beings abide by. And if human beings stopped abiding by it, it would, it would break down. It wouldn't be a thing anymore. And I'm not, but I, I only say that just to get you to really think about, well, what, what is the true nature of money? It's just a promise that you can use later to, to buy something that you want. So, you know, you give me apples, I give you money. Money is conceptual. Later, you can use that money to buy stuff you want. So, um, but, but as when we're kids, you know, it's like the idea that something is intangible or conceptual, it's almost out of reach, right? So we make stuff up. We hear adults say things about money or we make stuff up about money and then we live like it's true. So, uh, some common money operating systems are, as you said, there's never enough money. Also, uh, if I'm good, the universe will give me what I need, right? Um, uh, I'm not good with money or I'm like I'm bad at math. Unfortunately, a lot of women have this one, even though there's absolutely no evidence that women on the whole have less math skill than, than men or boys do. Um, there's also there's always enough money. So, you know, some of the people listening to this show now won't relate to that statement. Oh, there's never enough money or I have to buy more to be more, even though uh, for those of us who have scarcity-based money operating systems, we will. We'll see that messaging and relate to it. It'll resonate with us. It'll ping around in our brains. But then other people see other things about money, you know, a money operating system can be the opposite of that. There's always enough money. 
And then interestingly, your money operating system has no bearing on reality. It's not actually true, but what happens is you go find evidence for that it's true. And so in some cases, people who have the money operating system, there's always enough money, actually don't pay attention and make sure that there is enough money. So I'll give you an example. Someone with that money operating system called me up one time. She was in her 60s. She said, I just left my job. I'm so excited. She was just really proud of herself for retiring. And I said, great. So what do you, what's in that nest egg? What, how, how, what, what do you have saved for retirement? She said $120,000. It's not enough. $120,000 is not going to pay for anybody's retirement unless you're spending like $4 a week, right? So she had the money operating system. There's always enough money, but she didn't have the reality that there's never enough money. So that is just a kind of brief introduction to the pervasive and sometimes perniciousness of the money operating system that we as human beings, we have an ability to only filter for what we already think is true. And until the money operating system is um, revealed, is brought from the background to the foreground, acknowledged, um, you know, it, it runs the show. And then after that, you have the ability to, as you said, reprogram. And so that's some of the work that I do with some with my coaching clients. Hmm. Yeah. And another common one um, I see is is with women in particular is under earning. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on on, you know, kind of our self set limitations or points that we're comfortable with and and what people could do if, if um, they are struggling with under earning. Mm-hmm. And so when you say under earning, do you see mostly business owners or what do you see? Yeah, yeah. Entrepreneurs who are afraid to raise their rates or charge more, uncomfortable, you know, um, yeah, uncomfortable or uncomfortable asking for a raise if they work for someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that really goes with the scarcity conversation. So I would say probably people who manifest behavior called under earning have are likely to have the money operating system there's never enough money because obviously under earning means there's never enough money and i think that i I sometimes hear in the community of entrepreneurs the dialogue of don't be afraid to charge what you're worth and i kind of bristle at that statement because first of all in your business you're not selling you like you're not giving away parts of yourself and you don't actually have a worth. And I know that that's not the super inspirational talk that, you know, it's not, I'm not going to get on a stage and jump up and down and play techno music and have people go, yeah, I don't have a worth. Right. However, if you actually think about it, what I just said is far more practical and far more empowering than charge what you're worth, because then it's like, well, what, what is my worth? Then I, whatever I'm charging, I guess is my worth. And then my human nature is tied to this dollar amount. It's just a really strange association to me. Um, And then the other, the other thing is that, you know, um, you have needs as a woman, you have a need to have your cup full emotionally, to have free time, to have self care. If you have a family, you have to feed that family you have to pay for housing, you have to pay for schooling, you have to pay for your retirement. And so 
I find that entrepreneurs who are stuck in the, oh my God, what should I charge for this thing I built conversation are not in the, what price is worth my life? If you're running a business, your time is the only resource you can never get back. So you're giving away your time to make these things and provide value for people. That's time you don't get to spend with your kids, your husband, your wife, your partner, your family, your friends, uh, relaxing, right? And so I say you have the opportunity to decide if I'm going to give my life to this thing, what am I going to earn? And what do I need to charge for this little thing or this piece of consulting so that I can earn that dollar amount that I say is worth my life? And that's a very different perspective than, oh, my God, what can I like? Could I raise my prices from twenty nine ninety nine to ninety nine ninety nine? Right. Because it's a very micro conversation in a bigger picture. Um, what do I need to do to be worth two hundred and fifty dollars an hour? Or what needs to happen for me to make $350,000 a year? Uh, I think that that would be a much, that's, a, that's an inquiry that's worth your time as an entrepreneur. Mm, I love that. Switching that around really creates, you know, greater insight and, and prioritizing our own life force and, and time. And, uh, yeah, you yeah, only get really one great. life as far as we know. Yeah, right. yeah, that's, that's a great reframe. Uh, I'm not uh, committed to getting to the end of it and looking back on it and saying, oh, wow, that just wasn't very empowering for me. It's like, oh, come on, let's do something different. Yeah. So you've, you know, you've worked with a lot of um, women, some of whom are entrepreneurs, and I'm, I'm curious if there's any other common struggles um, that you see that women entrepreneurs have, have with money and any recommendations you have. Uh, I would say the, the biggest thing I see is that pe- women put money in bank accounts and leave it in cash. And that's a big problem because what you're doing is you're trying to avoid losing money. And they're scared of the market. Wall Street technical jargon is very intimidating. I get it. I have a lot of empathy for it. And interestingly, what you resist persists because by trying to avoid losing money, you are guaranteeing losing money. Because as you know, money left in cash loses value over time through the constant process of inflation of prices. So, um, and as entrepreneurs, it can be even worse because you're doing everything you can to take money out of your business. And, you know, it takes time to when you run a business to let yourself take money out of the business because uh, you're more, you're inclined to use it to reinvest and make more money. But then when money sits on the sidelines, it's like, um, okay, when, what, when do you, pull your head up at the ostrich up out of your busy, busy, busy schedule and actually make a plan for your future. So, you know, I think, I mean, without really, without really getting into the details, you have the opportunity to really align with partners in your financial life. I'm sure you have a great tax planner. You need a great financial advisor, probably need a family attorney. This is your wealth team. And you want to get on a plan so that that savings gets invested and you can get technical advice as to whether that should be in a simplified employee pension or a, a solo 401k or if you can open a 401k plan. 
Um, but definitely get in, carve out the time because it matters. Compound returns matter and getting started sooner versus later matters. So I hope that helps. Yes, yes. Great advice. Hmm. And and the irony of, of what people may be afraid of, as you say, losing the money and wanting that security. And, and in fact, the opposite is happening where their money is using purchasing, losing purchasing power every day, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think um, that it's emotional, too, right? I think that women... If you imagine yourself with a million-dollar nest egg or a two-million-dollar nest egg, many of you who are listening, if you're honest, something about you shakes that off. It's like, I can't be with that. I can't because we associate money with power, and there's something about I need to be small and feminine. I can't come to a romantic relationship and have that much power and influence or that would make me better than people. And I don't want to be better than people. Or, you know, you ask women, what would you do if you won the lottery? And you ask people and men talk about, well, the things that they would buy, but also how they would save it. And women talk about how they would give it away. And it's like, hold up. <laughs> Cause you got to make sure your cup is full too. And there's, there's an infinite amount of wealth in the world. You, you taking your portion isn't you taking away from someone else. That's just not how money is. Every voluntary exchange creates value, and we know it creates value because that's an economic truism. So you doing business with other people is producing value for them, and then you keeping that money for yourself is keeping your you sustained and with resources and energy and time and dignity and choice, and it's a... It's a it's a positive reinforcement loop. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes. And that really puts perspective on, on why it is so significant for individual women to come into more financial empowerment and, and the way it does ripple out in how they uh, manage their family's finances and engage in their community, how much they work. And, and it really feels like we're um, kind of redefining success on our own terms. You know, I'm 36 years old and just feel like, wow, there, um, the job market is changing so much for millennials and the emerging generations. And we can't really measure success. In, in the ways that we have traditionally with exclusively finance and uh, financial aspects, you know, people are really looking for more satisfaction and joy and balance in their lives, I feel. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about, I, I think success is certainly something that can be defined individually. And I agree with you that if you look out in the world, a lot of times, Financial success is put on a pedestal and not really analyzed very deeply. I guess when I listen to people say they're successful, I mean, I wonder, well, what does what does that mean? I, what what do you what what have you produced? What have you done? Right? Because money can be measured, and um, I think that it's an expensive life, and that there are, most people don't have pensions anymore, and unless you're inheriting money. You, there's a lot of things that we need to pay for in this life. So I think, sure, redefining success and, and, and honoring your time and, have, I guess, having balance. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure that I would describe my life as balanced. I, I, I work. I spend time with my baby and my husband, and then I rest. 
I don't know how much, oh, and I work out. I'm not sure how balanced that is, but I am sure that the things that are in my calendar are the things I care about most. And that's, yeah. I guess, how I've decided to organize my time. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can really relate to that. Um, so let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back in just a minute, we will talk some more about uh, your Profit Boss radio show and, and also this evocative question uh, in a recent episode of, of Are We in a Stock Market Bubble that everyone talks about. Okay. We'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Welcome back. We are here with Hillary Hendershot. She is a certified financial planner and uh, also created about two and a half years ago, began the Profit Boss uh, radio show and podcast. And so she's had over 100 episodes, interviewed some amazing guests. And I would love to hear, um, Hillary, what, what you have learned over these, um, this process of doing the show and, and what some big highlights or themes have been. Well, I think the, the availability of educational and inspirational podcasts is just an incredible addition to the world. I, mean, I myself have a lineup of podcast episodes that I'm listening to all the time on topic areas that are of interest to me and they edify me over time. It's like I've gotten so much in my life from listening to free podcasts and I'm just honored to be able to add my voice to that chorus. And I think after 20 years in this industry, I have some experience and a viewpoint that is a value to people. And I, so I just talk in my own voice. I talk about the things that I've learned. I say Profit Boss Radio is free of Wall Street speak. So I definitely speak Wall Street, right? I'm a certified financial planner, so I can talk that talk, but I also don't think it's necessary to. I don't think that many normal investors need to know that language. You know, at this point, we know enough about the stock market that there's a lot of wisdom in a lot of these investment vehicles that are out there. We sort of know what's the best way to invest, what's the best portfolio. Um, We know how to manage risk. And even though some financial advisors still use smoke and mirrors and you cannot trust everybody, 
I think as long as I'm giving you an insight that's new and I'm doing the same, doing and saying the same thing at the same time, right? That's how you earn trust <laughs> that, um, that I can build rapport and relationship with my audience. And that has certainly proven to be true. I think Profit Boss Radio has been a runaway success for me and my business and my team and the people who listen. And so I'm, you know, it's evolved a little bit since the day that I launched it a couple of years ago, and it's evolving even more in the near term future. And that's, you know, a, a nod to the evolution and um, growth of my audience. So we're, um, we're doing good work. And even people who've never done business with me and never will, they have the opportunity to get some really great um, pieces of learning about money mindset, about the emotions of money, about entrepreneurialism, about investing, about, you know, the importance of things like paying into social security and having a revocable living trust. So those are tactical, technical tactics. Um, but what Profit Boss Radio really includes it all. I want it to be very full spectrum and it really has been. So I do solo shows. I interview experts. We interview uh, everyday people who have made incredible financial transformation. It's just like mind blowing what people can do when they decide they're done being broke. And I think that it's a value for people to hear those voices. And so far, <laughs> so far the feedback is I'm right. Hmm. Oh yeah, it it really is so incredible to to hear people's stories and and about finances, especially because it's so taboo to really spotlight those people who have uh persevered and and come through challenging situations because um it's it's really inspiring and and also brings a great level of compassion like we often assume that other people all just have it figured out financially and maybe we're fumbling along or, or struggling or stressed in a, in a certain way. So it's really good to hear how people um, are resilient and, uh, and really can become more empowered with their money. Yeah, I, your recent episode on uh, this buzz that people are thinking there's a stock market bubble. Um, I would love to, to have you share some more about that. Mm-hmm. Is that, a, do you think we're in a bubble? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I never know where to enter this conversation with people because it's, uh, it's such a, there's so much to say. So here's the thing. We've been in, if you've been investing in the stock market, stock market hit its bottom during the financial crisis in the year 2009. In the year 2008, we had, almost 50% losses, it continued to decline. It was a very scary time. Unfortunately, a lot of people were not well enough diversified. Unfortunately, a lot of people did not have good advice and they sold out and locked in their losses. And that is devastating to me. I'm so sorry to anyone who had that happen. Many people lost real estate. It was a very scary, confusing time. The, the, the finance markets dried up, right? Nobody could get mortgages. And I myself was a victim, not a victim. I, I myself fell victim to losses. And I talk about that openly on Profit Boss Radio. But so since then, we've been in almost a nine-year bull market. Basically, the stock market has been trending up since then. 
and uh, people who stayed invested, who'd stayed the course, have had their account values double and triple and even more than that since the bottom, okay? So it's been a very long and robust bull market. A bull is when the market is up, a bear market is when the market trends down. So of course, the naysayers and the financial news media want you to be scared, they want you to tune in, they want you to pay attention to their shows, they can continue to sell advertising, and they're saying, and they've been saying for many years, uh, it's a bubble. So I wanted to address that, and this is one of the things I do in my weekly newsletter, it's called Profit Boss Weekly, but um, but uh, I wanted to address, well, are we in a bubble? So, um, so first of all, a bubble is not a technical finance term. They don't teach about bubbles when you learn about the stock market. They don't talk about bubbles when you take finance classes, okay? It's a term I, I probably made up by the media that describes a very real thing, right? Uh, for example, stock market, excuse me, real estate prices were uh, very high in 2006, and then they fell precipitously in 2007 and 2008. So it makes us feel like, well, when they were high, there was nothing actually propping them up. It was fake. It was a bubble. Okay. But understand that uh, market ups and downs are normal. And if you want consistent returns, you should buy CDs. And unfortunately, when you buy CDs, you get very low returns. So if you want 9 to 10% returns, you get a diversified stock market portfolio and you hang on. And if you want 1% returns, you buy CDs. And the delta between those two numbers, between one and nine, is the measure of the courage that you have to have to invest in the stock market. I, you know, I go to the gym most mornings, and sometimes the next morning I hurt. My muscles hurt. I'm sore. And I don't go to the gym for the purpose of feeling hurt. The next morning I go to the gym because it's great for my health. It's great for bone density. I think it makes me look better, right? And you don't invest in the stock market so that you can have the pain that it's normal for a human being to feel when the stock market portfolio falls. By the way, they've done research on the emotions people feel when they watch their their investments decline in value, and it's the same part of the brain lights up as does when we get chased by a bear in the wild. So it's this very Neanderthal, very lizard brain kind of fear. It's like, run, get the hell out of here, right? And so without good advice, a lot of people, unfortunately, like I said earlier, lock in losses. Uh, So they sell out and lock in losses, whereas the number one rule in investing is buy low and sell high. So, and by the way, most people don't accomplish that. So the question is, are we in a bubble? And you may not know this, but when the finance community and the the journalist community starts to say that we're in a bubble, they're looking at a particular measure in the stock market called P.E. ratios. So I know that's we're getting into Wall Street speak here, but P.E. ratio is the price to earnings ratio. So literally, what is that company earning every year? How much profit are they making? And then what's the price of their stock in relationship to how much they're earning? So it makes sense if the company is earning a lot of profit, the price of the stock should be high. If the company is not earning a lot of profit, the price of the stock should be lower. How much lower? That's very, you know, there's, there's a lot of nuance to that. But basically when they start saying P-E ratios are high, then, um, then, then people start to say, well, we're in a bubble. 
However, just like with anything, the stock market is unpredictable. If you use PE ratios to predict stock market bubbles, um, it is said in my it is said amongst investment managers, PE ratios have been used to predict the last 10 out of three recessions. So in other words, you will get out of the market inappropriately two and a half times for every time it is appropriate. So there's no perfect measure. No one knows if we're in a stock market bubble. No expert has ever predicted economic events accurately more than twice. There's always some monkey or economist or investment guy predicting everything under the sun. So every time anything happens, someone will be right. In the meanwhile, what people don't realize is that if you're going to get out of the stock market for fear, which is what people do when they say we're in a stock market uh, bubble, you have to be right twice. And I'll use just eat numbers that are really easy to grip, wrap your brain around. But if your portfolio goes from 10 to 7 and you're starting to get fearful and you sell out at 7, well now, and this is what people don't realize, you have to get back in below 7 in order to not lose money. But what people do is they let it go to 6 and 5 and then it comes back to 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and they get back in at 10 or 11 and they don't realize that they've lost 30 or 40 percent in that transaction and that's the that's really the rub and why those of us who build portfolios that are designed to be long term have become very good at keeping our investors in those portfolios because nobody knows how to time the market and again you, you have to have the right things it matters what you own but if you get the right portfolio, you really can stop listening to all the noise about whether we're in a stock market bubble because it doesn't matter. Over the last 90 years, the stock market has produced 9 and 10% returns on an annualized basis. So refreshing to hear that. I feel like it's largely, you know, there is so much fear and sensationalism and just how it does drop people down into that reptilian brain of, you know, flight or fight. And there is, um, yeah, almost a psychological component to to being emotionally, you know, making making our financial decisions from this emotionally charged place, whether it's impulse spending or, you know, selling our stocks because we think there's a bubble. And so that really uh, makes sense to, to kind of be also rational and, and not act impulsively and, and to really analyze the numbers and have trusted advisors to uh, ride the inevitable up, up and down fluctuations. And Thank you so much, Hillary, for being here with us today. What a fascinating conversation and just really appreciate the wisdom that you bring and the practical, uh, tactical advice that you have for women in particular in exploring that final frontier of wealth building and really becoming more empowered with their women. So if listeners want to check out Hillary's work, you can go to her website site hillaryhendershot.com it's linked to in the show uh, post at money-morphosis.com and uh, the website is h-i-l-a-r-y 
H-E-N-D-E-R-S-H-O-T-T dot com. And uh, yeah, really uh, encourage you to check out her work. And it is so inspiring to know that more and more women are having the courage to have open conversations about money, to really reach out and get the support they need to fill up their own cup, to get more uh, empowered with their own finances. So thank you so much, Hillary, for being a part of, of inspiring so many women. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.